Right, if you want to find the book of 1 Peter in your Bible, if you have one. Uh, If not, don't worry, because the words from the scripture will appear as if by magic behind me. So what we're going to do is we're going to read that together, and then I'm going to speak, and then away we go. So here we go. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this book, the Bible, which is your word to us. It's not just a dusty, ancient book of myths and tales and stories, but it's something that's living and active and powerful, something that shapes us, and more than anything else, it brings us to you, Jesus. It tells our hearts of who you are, of what you've done for us, of your wonderful grace and mercy and love poured out for us. We don't just treat it as a kind of handbook, a guidebook to life, but we want to treat it as something that shapes us and changes us and brings us to you, Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in our hearts this morning as we look at this passage together, that you'd be speaking to us and guiding us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm sure all of us in different ways in life, we're, we're aware of, of suffering. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're aware of how we suffer. Um, and everybody does in all sorts of different ways. We all know the kind of fair share of pain and turmoil that happens in life. Even the most positive person here is still at some point going to confront death or grief, sickness or pain or issues in relationships or at your workplace, uh, unmet dreams and expectations. All of us in different ways come come across suffering. But at the same time, we all have this, I don't know if you've ever been aware of it, but this kind of 
nagging sense deep within you when something happens that's painful, when you feel like you're suffering, we have this nagging sense within us of it's not the way it's supposed to be. That it feels unfair, that life isn't supposed to be like that. That somehow you've been duped or tricked or something's gone terribly wrong and there's something within you that says life isn't supposed to be like this. This week, Joe and I sat down to watch a movie together and uh, before we ever watch a movie, we will uh, we'll check on IMDB to find out its ratings, right? Anyone else do this? If it's less than a seven, we don't watch it, right? Only film seven or above, some thumbs up. People know that's, that's a good tactic. So we, we checked out this film and it was like a 7.5 or something. So then we watched the trailer and the trailer made it out to be this kind of comedy. There's loads of laughs and funnies and like, oh, we'd, we'd had a bit of a long day. We were feeling pretty tired. We didn't want anything heavy. So we thought, oh, this looks like a funny movie. Well, you get this two minutes. But the trailer wasn't representative of the movie. <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? You get this two minute snippet, which is full of jokes. And you realize that was all the jokes in the movie, right? <laughs> and the rest of the movie was just, just horrible. Well, it was a good movie, but it was quite dark. And there was lots of moments of just horribleness, really. It was, some of it was, was a bit horrible to watch. You just felt, oh goodness, I didn't want to see that. It was not a very happy movie, although it did have a few chokes within it. And sometimes life can feel a bit like that, you know? You feel like, oh, I thought it was just to be, supposed to be fun and life was supposed to be great and it's just supposed to be this roller coaster of brilliance. And then suddenly you realize that you know, life is punctuated by some, some fun moments, but there's lots of moments that aren't as enjoyable. You think life isn't what was advertised. This is not what the trailer told me it was supposed to be like. And this, this idea within us that, that it's not the way it's supposed to be, that life should be kind of harmonious and wonderful and peaceful and full of joy, that idea within us it's kind of, it's a bit like an ancient echo. There's something in our hearts within us that's, that is actually looking back at what life was supposed to be like. If you go back to right at the start of the Bible, you read the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You read this picture of them walking with God and experiencing peace, joy, friendship with their father, their creator, and there's an echo in our hearts that's longing to get back there. That's what that thing is within you when you think, oh, life isn't what it's supposed to be. It's because there's something within you that's calling you to actually what life is supposed to be. It's now been broken and destroyed by sin, but something within us harks back for that moment. Something within us, even within our DNA, kind of remembers that. I was... I was um, procrastinating this week. And um, actually, I'd been for a walk uh, the day before, um, just out in the countryside. And I come to this signpost that said the place where I was walking, there were lots of snakes there. You don't normally see them because they kind of hide away. But they're uh, ring snakes, so they're just quite small and they're not dangerous, they don't have any venom, they don't bite you. Um, so when I got home, I thought I want to find out more about this and I was procrastinating because I didn't want to do what I should be doing. So I was researching on Wikipedia snakes, you know, just, just for five minutes, just to find out. 
And I found out this fascinating thing about ring snakes is that if they feel threatened, although they don't have any poison and they don't bite, what they do is they kind of arch their backs up and flatten their chests and they pretend to be a cobra, like, like a hooded cobra will do. It's fascinating. They're not cobras, obviously. They're ring snakes and they're small and harmless, but they pretend to be a cobra. But the really fascinating thing is they've never met cobras because they live in completely different parts of the world. And when scientists look into it and try and figure it out, as far as they can tell, over millions of years, these two different species of snake have never, never met each other. But somehow the ring snake still pretends to be a cobra. It's so there's something within its DNA that is longing and looking back for something else, this kind of distant memory. And that's what I'm talking about. Each of us has this distant memory in our hearts of what life should be like with our Father, with God. And when life doesn't meet that expectation, we have this sense of frustration and disappointment. But yet what Peter comes and does here in this passage is he comes and speaks right into the very heart of this tension. And he says to us, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. That's really important that we get hold of this because we do sometimes feel surprised. Like, why is this happening to me? Why is this so hard? Why am I going through this? And Peter says to us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Actually, this passage then gives us some tips about how to walk through those seasons, those moments of pain and suffering and, and difficulty. And the first thing for us to realize is that, as I said, we shouldn't be surprised. Because the wonderful thing I love about Christianity, about knowing Jesus, is that God isn't like a genie in a bottle, right? You don't just come and rub the lamp and get you three wishes. God's so much bigger and better and more magnificent than that. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is it speaks straight into reality. Faith in Jesus is not escaping from reality. It's not like a kind of placebo, like a, a drug that you take just to kind of take your mind off it and just try and distract yourself. Faith isn't we just come to church on a Sunday and just have a, you know, an hour or two where we can just forget about life, just live in this kind of bubble, just escape. No, Christianity speaks into every area of our life. It doesn't help us escape from reality, it embraces reality, embraces what life is really like and gives us strength and courage and help to walk through those seasons. And to go through suffering, that doesn't contradict the blessings of God. Sometimes we can feel like that. Sometimes says if you're a believer in Jesus, your biggest frustration is, is not that you're just frustrated with life, but you're frustrated with God. I didn't think being a Christian was supposed to be like this, right? We can feel that dissonance within our hearts, such as frustration, life. Not just life isn't supposed to be like this, but life with Jesus isn't supposed to be like this. But if anything, in a way, suffering should reassure us, really, that, that God's with us, that he's helping us, that actually maybe he's doing something within you that might be painful for a season or for a moment, 
But in those seasons, God's with you. He's, he talks about here about this fiery trial that we walk through, that he's purifying us. He's doing something within you. He's changing you. He's, he's helping you. Sometimes suffering is part of God's gracious design to do something beautiful in your life. But you have to walk through sometimes seasons of pain to get to that, to get to that place. There's a wonderful poem that I came across recently. That this was written in 1580-something or other by a guy called George Herbert. And he says this, Away despair, my gracious Lord does here. Though winds and waves assault my keel, he does preserve it, he does steer. Even when the boat seems most to reel, storms of the triumph of his art. Well, may he close his eyes, but not his heart. You know, all the time, God is at, at work. Even in the storms of life, sometimes they're part of God's design to bless you and to shape you. And even if you feel like you're in that boat and the waves are crashing and the boat is rocking, you're still in a safe place because God's got you there and he'll keep you there and he'll preserve you there. He'll care for you there. Although the storm might fear, feel savage, he's sovereign, he's Lord over the storm. He controls it. He'll, he'll care for you and protect you in those moments. So we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. And actually this passage says that actually in a weird way, we can, take, we can take joy in suffering. Goes on to say in this passage, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad. And one day, we will get to rejoice fully when we meet Jesus in eternity forever. But even now, we can find joy in our suffering. There's a friend of mine who was, he was actually due to come here um, earlier this year, and he was gonna speak at church on a Sunday, but uh, on the Friday before he was due to fly over, he was coming from the UK. First of all, his flight got canceled, and then he was rushed into hospital, and he was quite sick. A few weeks ago, he had quite a major operation and he wrote a, a, a blog post about it this week, which I was reading. And he was just talking about some book he'd read that he found really profound. And then he wrote this at the end of his blog post. He said, this is a brief health report. He said, I've not left the house yet. I'm still a bit sore, quickly grow weary, voice weak, but very happy. <laughs> he was able to say that. Even through everything he'd walked through, he was just very happy. He's living with this sense of joy in his heart. Because in his own words, he said, well, you know, I'm on like a forced sabbatical. I've got a forced holiday that God's given me. You know, I might be lying in bed, not able to do much, but God's obviously put me here for a reason. And he wanted to rest in the joy of that, in that maybe in those moments he could know God a little. And you think maybe that's just the, the drugs talking, you know, he's just pumping him full of all sorts of stuff and he's just feeling a bit giddy because of that. Well, no, there's something, there's something wonderful about it because we can take joy because 
because we're blessed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. We're blessed if we suffer. We're blessed even if we're insulted. That's the example Peter uses in this passage of suffering. If accusations come at you, if you're insulted, if someone of your work demeans what you do or criticizes what you do, or for all sorts of different ways we could be insulted, in a way that, that, that says that we're, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed. And the blessing, the blessing is not in the suffering. Okay, this isn't like masochism where you just, oh, we just enjoy the suffering and the pain. It's so wonderful. I have this, I have this running app where I, I go running, right? And then at the end of the run, you know, you stop the run on, on your app. And then for some reason, it then gives me options to rate how the run was. You know, a series of faces from very happy and smiley to very angry. I'm like, I'm exhausted, right? There's no way I'm happy about this right now. So I always tick the unhappy face. I'm like, no, of course I'm unhappy. It's painful and horrible. Does anybody enjoy, I don't know how you could enjoy running. It's, I just do it because I have to. It's a horrible experience. So I tick the unhappy one and then it gives you a list of re reasons like why you're unhappy. Was it because of the weather? Was it because you feel sore? You know, you ate something bad? I was like, all of the above, for all those reasons, I'm unhappy. I'm exhausted, that was horrible. And I don't take any joy. I don't feel blessed in that moment. And that's, that's what it's saying here. We're not, we're not blessed because we've suffered. We're not blessed. The suffering itself isn't the blessing. And it's also not, the blessing isn't kind of character improvement. We could feel like, oh, well, I'm, I'm blessed because even though I'm suffering, God's doing this thing in me. So that's, that's the blessing, right? He's, he's shaping me. He's, he's, he's character building. He's character forming. Well, that's not really the blessing either, or that's a, that's a good fruit to come out of it. Because what it goes on to say here, if you notice carefully, it says, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. <laughs> See, the blessing is so much bigger than, than just character improvement. The blessing we get is the very presence of God, God himself. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just that we've, we've understood and we've signed a form, or one day we'll get into heaven. Being a Christian means that right now you can, you can know God as your father, that you can know his presence with you. <laughs> And that's what it says here, that even when we walk through suffering, in a way the suffering is the sign that the transforming powerful work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in your life. You, know, you might come from a church which would be a bit more charismatic in background. Sometimes we talk about this church being charismatic. When people say that, they don't often mean charismatic means we suffer a lot. But that's kind of what it says here. In your suffering, you get to experience and know God in a deep, rich, and powerful way. What Peter's alluding to here, this suffering he's talking about, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's, he's alluding back to the, when they built the first temple and the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory fell on the temple. He's saying the same way now, 
the glory of God rests on his people. And when you walk through suffering and trial, the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work within you, not just to change you, but to draw you ever closer to God himself. That's what he's doing all the time. He's drawing you to him. It's not even necessary to make you a better person. It's just to, to get you to a place where you know Jesus better. All the time, he's drawing you ever closer to him, to know him. So we can take joy even in our sufferings because he's bringing us ever closer to God. And also, we need to remember to, to suffer wisely because it, there's this funny verse here where it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Um, which you might think, what's that verse doing there? But it's, it's saying that you know, there's sufferings that we go through that are out of our control. And there's sometimes sufferings that we've actually brought upon ourselves. It might be a bit obvious if you've murdered somebody. You know, that's going to cause you some heartache and some pain. And it's going to have some consequences. But even, if, it's funny, it has some kind of more dramatic murder or thief, and then it says meddler, which means like a busybody, right? Someone who's always interfering in other people's lives. Is always trying to probe, and, and, and they always want a piece of something else. They're always trying to fix people in a way that sometimes they just need to not do that. They're just, they're just trying to take over. But what, what this verse is getting at is that we need to make sure we suffer for the right things. Because so often the suffering that we walk through is we've brought it upon ourselves by our own disobedience, by wanting to fix everything ourselves, by wanting to have our own way, by wanting life to conform to what I want, to be the shape that I like it. And we actually bring more suffering upon ourselves by just trying to fix everything all the time. There's a writer called Christine Hoover, and she said this, suffering in this life is guaranteed. So why compound it through disobedience? <laughs> She's saying we all suffer. Why make it worse by trying to go your own way, by bringing suffering upon yourself all the time? By being a busybody, trying to fix everything, trying to make everything fit around your schedule, around your life, around what you like. We need to be careful that we're not suffering what we should be suffering for. We're suffering for the wrong things sometimes. And next, as well, we need to make sure that we embrace the purpose of, of suffering. Because as we've already said, often with suffering, there's, there's a goal, there's a purpose, there's a reason. There's something that God's doing at work within you. It talks here about this judgment to begin at the household of God. What that means is there's, right now, God is at work amongst his people to refine us, to purify us, to make us more like him. There's a, there's a, the judgment of God in actually a beautiful way is at work within us to draw us ever closer to him, to be at work amongst us. And it won't 
leave anybody untouched. It will purify you, it will strengthen you, it will be hard sometimes, it will be painful, but I would rather walk through those seasons now than face eternal judgment in the future. This is what Peter's warning us with. You might be here and you're not a believer in Jesus. You might think, this, this just sounds horrible. <laughs> I thought Christianity was supposed to be fun and high fives and get yourself a private jet and all those sort of things. It's really not. But what you need to be aware of is that there's, there's a, a judgment to come where all of us will stand before God and account for our ways. And I would rather follow the path of Jesus now in this life before it's too late and embrace the life he's called me to. Even if sometimes it feels harder. Often, I don't know about you, I find that temptation in my life. Sometimes I think, I think it would just be easier not to be a Christian sometimes. Sometimes the things that God calls us to do, I think, oh, if I just put those things aside, if I just pretend that God hadn't said that, if I just ignore that bit of the Bible, life would be so much easier. That's a lie. It's not true. You need to arrest yourself in those moments and tell yourself, that's not true. That's not true. Following Jesus, even through the hardship and the pain and the difficulty, will always be better because he's working out a plan in your life, a purpose in your life to do you good, to, to shape you. He's at work in us. And we have to remember finally to entrust your soul, to entrust your soul to him. Because it might sound a little bit like all these different solutions I'm talking about with suffering, basically, you might think they could just boil down to we just have to grit our teeth and push through. You know, just somehow just kind of churn through life. You know, we could think, well, you know, whatever doesn't break us makes us stronger, right? You could throw out all those sort of things. You know, this is just, this is just my fight song. Do you know that song? I'm not going to sing it because I can't remember how it goes. But that's the whole emphasis of this song. Yeah, I'm going to win in life. I just need to fight through these things. It's better for me if I can just break through these battles. If I can just do this thing, life will be glorious. If I can just grip my teeth and push through. And the Bible has what we would call imperatives in it. It has a, a calls to action. The Bible calls us to do certain things. So we can't ignore those bits of the Bible where it asks us to do things, where it gives us commands. But all of it is, as believers in Jesus, you're tasked to bring your life into alignment with the reality of what God has already done. You're never trying to win his favor. You're never trying to get your ticket into heaven. We're aware of the settled case of what Jesus has already done for us. And we want, to, we want to bring our life in line with reality of who he is, of what he's done already. 
for us. And sometimes that will be, our efforts will be very imperfect, will be most of the time when I try and do the good thing, it's imperfect. It's full of mixed motives. You know, I want to do something amazing for God and then I want everyone to know about it as well. <laughs> or, or it's inadequate. We think we've done something amazing and then we look back on it and we think, that was really quite puny <laughs> and pathetic really, wasn't it? But yet all the time we're trying to live a life worthy of his calling, empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. And that's a really important thing. But at the same time, it's still... If we get into the wrong mentality of just grit my teeth and push through it, we've missed something of the beauty of what Jesus has done for us, of what he's promised us, what he's called us into. Because, you know, for some of you here, it might be that the suffering you've experienced in your past or what you're experiencing now, you think, well, you just don't know. I can't just grit my teeth and push through that. I can't just sort of sing my fight song and blast my way through that. Because the fiery trial was, was too hot. It was too painful. It was too difficult. Right? Even we all know there's some seasons in our life where we just reach the end of ourselves. I think, I've got, I've got nothing left to give now. I, I, I can't fight anymore. I'm I'm done, I'm finished, I'm out. And that's actually a really wonderful, powerful place to come to. <laughs> of just saying, God, I'm, I'm at the end of myself. And he says, finally, you've realized it. <laughs> that's when his power, his strength, when we are weak, that's where it floods in and helps us, strengthens us. Because, you know, what do you say to, like in the last six months, you know, I've met a Syrian refugee, a lady who'd survived the Rwandan genocide. <laughs> you can't just say to them, just, just fight your way through. You know, whatever doesn't break you makes you stronger. Because some of the things they've walked through, they think, that, that did break me. That did cause me damage that I don't know how I'll ever recover from. It's those moments we can't just say, come on, just fight a bit harder. We have to say, just come to Jesus. And he says here really simply, let's find the verse. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This word, entrust, it's a much deeper thing than just trust. As in, I just trust God. I just trust that this is going to happen over here. We, in trust is like you put everything, all your cards into that, all of your life. You say, I'm, I'm giving it, I'm committing it to God now. Everything. It's all his. It's all his. I'm entrusting it all to his care and his protection and his provision. When you entrust something, you... you you don't just say, I, I trust the bank with my money. You, you give them all your money. You entrust it to them. <laughs> and you trust that it's not going to disappear or that you know, someone else isn't going to log into your account and take it, although that happens sometimes. You entrust it. You say, that's, that's protected now. 
And that's what Peter's encouraging you to do with your very soul, just to give it to him, entrust it to him, to his care, his protection. And what, what he has in mind, what I think Peter's thinking about is these verses from Luke 23, which talks about Jesus' crucifixion. It says it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. When it says earlier that we can share in Christ's sufferings, that's calling us to a life where we say, I entrust, I, I commit my soul to him. I just give it to him. I trust him for that. Trust him for my life, for the ups and downs, the pains, the disappointments, the joys. I trust him. I commit my spirit to him. But we know now that even though we suffer, that Jesus has endured and gone through the ultimate suffering for us. Even though sometimes we walk through what can feel like God's judgment, we know that he really faced the judgment. He was judged on our behalf. He stood in our place, took the punishment for our sins, took what we deserved upon himself. He paid the greatest cost for us. And whereas the suffering we go through all the time, it brings us closer to God, the suffering that Christ endured on the cross actually separated him from God. As the temple was torn in two, Jesus was separated from, from his father. In that moment on the cross, he endured this horrible torment of separation from his father in heaven. Our suffering brings us so now we can enter and we can know God. Our suffering brings us ever closer to him. Whereas to Jesus, the opposite was true. And yet we know that now he's paid this wonderful, wonderful cost for us that we might have life and life to the full. And that's why you can look at suffering and walk through seasons and say, but I'm happy. Not just in a superficial way, not just trying to kid yourself, but because ultimately you know of what Jesus has done for you, that he's called you into this beautiful relationship with the Father, that you can, even in the hardship, the pain of life, that he's with you, Jesus is with you. Let me finish by just telling you a story and then we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song together. So there was a, this guy's got a brilliant name. I, I wish I'd had a boy and then I could have called him this. He was called Horatio Spafford. What name is that? You don't meet many people called Horatio anymore. But anyway, in, in 1871, this guy was living in uh, Chicago in America. He built a business, but sadly, in the great fire of Chicago, he lost all his business. Uh, his wife got very sick. So he decided to send his family 
his wife and his four kids to England. He couldn't go with them, he had to come later. But they, they got on a boat, his wife and his four kids sailed across to England. And those days you couldn't just get on, on the, the plane, it would take you weeks or months to cross over the Atlantic Ocean. And their boat was hit by another ship and it sunk. And uh, the sad story was that he lost his four kids and his, his wife, Anna, survived, which, that's, that's a painful thing to walk through, you know, outliving your kids. And he, he, had, to, he had to travel, so he got on a boat, he sailed across, and the, the captain called him onto the bridge has said, this is where the ship sunk. So <laughs> what he did was, which is quite amazing, is he, he went down to his cabin and he wrote a hymn. I thought, I don't think I'd write a hymn in that moment, but he wrote a hymn. And he was able to say in that moment, he said, it is well with my soul. Because... <laughs> He knew, you know, even now I'm feeling the pain of that suffering, that horrible affliction that he had to walk through. But he knew, he knew that ultimately his kids were now safe with their father in heaven. And that that was his destiny as well. That his, he'd entrusted his soul to his father and it was safe there. That even though his life Everything now was broken. His life was a mess. But he could say, with my soul, it is well. It is well. Because he'd entrusted it to his father. He knew that protection. You see, because we talked at the start about this ancient echo in our life that says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And it's not. But it doesn't have to just look back to Eden and say, that's not the way life was supposed to be. It looks forward as well to eternity with our Father. It says it's, it's not the way it's gonna be. There's a beautiful future mapped out for you forever with your Father in heaven. And we entrust our souls to just temporary. Our pain and our suffering is temporary. <laughs> it's just temporary, however horrific it is. I don't want to minimize what you're walking through. But when you commit your soul to him, it's safe there. There's a wonderful eternity set aside for you. We're going to pray and then um, Joe and the band are going to come and sing a song. Jesus. We thank you so much that through everything we walk through, the hardship and the pain, the suffering, for those of us who are believers in Jesus here this morning, we can declare that you are with us. And sometimes he doesn't feel that way. Sometimes we can feel alone. Sometimes we can look at our life and just see the mess and the brokenness 
things even we've done where we've brought suffering upon ourselves or things that have happened to us that are out of our control. But yet, for all of that, we know the reality, the only thing that's really true that really matters is that you're with us and that we can entrust our souls to you because ultimately you, you committed your soul to the Father. You gave your life for us that we could know you in the fullest way, that we could have life in you and life to the full. A life that doesn't escape from reality and just pretend everything is, is okay, but a life that embraces reality and is able to overcome, not by just gritting our teeth, but overcomes by the power of God within us. And even in the most horrible torment, we can know that ultimately it's well with our soul. <laughs> that you've forgiven us. That you've set us free. That we can now know our Father in heaven now and for eternity. Not because of what we've done, because of what you've done, Jesus. And together this morning, we just want to afresh entrust our souls to you. Just say, Father, have your way, have your will. We want to reach that end of ourself and say, God, I've got, I've got nothing left. And in our weakness, we can know your strength. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen.